That video is epic. I mean, I want to I be backlit, right? And I've got my foot up and doing something like this, my sword, my shield, something like that. This is crazy. Great job. Who did that? Brian did that, I think. Uh, welcome. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Welcome to week number two of the GOAT series, the greatest of all time. Last week, Pastor Kelly uh, kicked us off with the, the greatest commandment, and so if you missed that, I want to encourage you, please go to the app. The app is not just a giving platform. There are great resources, opportunities to see uh, the messages that are there, you know, to experience Pastor, Pastor Kelly's heart. Our co-lead pastor uh, has a heart that, that loves people, and to hear her talk about the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others, uh, you'll be challenged, you'll be encouraged, so please go back. Don't miss that message. It was great. Uh, so this is the second week, and uh, I have the privilege of not only serving on staff, but delivering a message today. As, uh, if, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, maybe you're brand new, or for some other reason we haven't met, my name is Lauren, and uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to be here, uh, be on staff, to work alongside Pastor Pete, Pastor Kelly, and all the other wonderful staff members that we have here. Um, I'm excited to talk about the Great Commission, which is what week number two is here. Uh, the other day, I was on a flight, and uh, I say the other day because, I don't know, it could have been a week ago, it could have been a month ago, but that just covers all time frames, right? could have been a year ago. But I was on the plane the other day, and um, our staff, our pastoral staff, traveled to Atlanta for a speak conference. And uh, I don't know about you, but anytime I get on the plane, I'm really not looking to make friends. I would just as soon sit comfortably in my chair and watch a movie on my phone and eat the popcorn or whatever the, the airline gives me. No, it's not comfortable, but I just want to like block everybody out, put in my earphones. And so on this particular flight, Pastor Jordan was sitting on the window, at the window, not on the window. He was sitting at the window. I was in the aisle seat, and then the middle seat here was empty. Now, they had made many announcements about how full this flight was going to be. It was going to be completely full. Every seat was going to be needed, so don't get too comfortable. Well, there was a part of me that was still holding on to the fact that there's possibly somebody that misses this flight, and this is the, the seat that they're not going to sit in. This is going to be my middle seat, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding eye contact. I'm staying busy. You know, I'm not going to give anybody the opportunity for the whole, hey, anybody in that seat? No, I'm not even making eye contact. <laughs> So time is going, and, and finally, finally, I'm thinking, okay, it's thinning out. So I'm looking around, and I look, and there's this couple, this young couple that's coming down the aisle. And I know in that moment, one of them is going to sit right here in this seat. And further, I knew that I was going to have to say yes to God or not. Because whoever sat there, I was going to have to have a conversation with don't tell me, don't ask me how I knew I knew. So they're making their way down, and the young lady slides into the seat right behind us in the middle, middle seat, and the young man sits down beside me here. I'm still wrestling. I'm not completely convinced that I'm going to say anything to him, okay? I've got my earphones ready to go, and uh, the cabin door shuts, and the announcements are, the pre-flight announcements are started, and I lean into him, and I go, so, why are you flying today? And for the next hour and a half, TJ and I talked about God. TJ, uh, I found quickly, was, had not been home in two years. He had been in and out of rehab 
uh, for drug addiction. His uh, girlfriend and he were flying that day because it was her birthday. She turned 18, and this is the day that she didn't need her parents' consent to fly home, to, to meet his family, to do whatever that they were going to do. And, you know, I, I leaned into him, and I'm like, dude, I, I don't know anything about drug addiction, but for the past 20 years, I've been a recovered alcoholic. So I know a little, a little bit about what God does in a life that's just so consumed with the need for a substance. And so we, we started talking, and as I told him about what God had done in my life, he told me about his Sunday school experiences and, and how he knew he needed to, to pray more. He needed to read his word more. There are all these things that he knew he needed to do more of, and I kept trying to bring him back to, yes, but you just need Jesus, you know? And so as he's, he's sitting there, and, and this, the transformation in this, this young man uh, was evident to me. So he, we're talking, and so his girlfriend's behind him, all right? This is, this is her view. You're, you're in her view, okay? And all of a sudden, TJ, he's just all excited. I can't describe him except for like a puppy, okay? And he goes, I'm talking to him about God, like this. <laughs> and, and so he's all excited. If he had a tail, it'd be wagging like this, you know? So... But she wouldn't have anything to do with that. She told him, she's like, you shouldn't be talking about God. You don't know what you're talking about. You need to get your life straightened out. So by the time he turned around and sat down, you know, it was like she had wadded up a newspaper and just swatted that puppy on the nose. And my heart broke for him in that moment. Um, And I leaned into him and I'm like, TJ, it's okay. I began this talk about God. I'm comfortable talking about anything that you want to talk about. So we continue to talk about God's deliverance and, uh, and relationship with him. And so he kind of, he eased up a little bit. And by the time we were landing <laughs> in Atlanta, I just told him, TJ, you know, um, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. And uh, <laughs> he did this again. He's going to be praying for me. <laughs> just so excited. Um, so that was probably the highlight of my trip that weekend. However, when this, the conference was over and we got back on the plane to fly home, Pastor Jordan sat right here in the middle seat next to me. And so I jokingly, but kind of honestly also said, well, I know you're a Christian, so I'm just going to let you be. And I went to put my headphones in, <laughs> but the window seat was filled there was a man there from Canada who quickly found out that Jordan was a pastor and just openly told him, I'm an atheist, and I really don't know anything about what you're talking about. But he was intrigued. As a father of two girls, he asked Jordan, how do you tell this message of hope to young people? So I'm like, hey, wherever you are today, look for your TJ and your atheist, because they need to know that you see them and that you have a message of hope for them, okay? So that's the end of my message. I don't need to say anything more. Be inspired, be encouraged. Go and make disciples. Be instant, in season and out of season to preach the word. What does it mean to preach? It just simply means proclaim it openly. God's goodness to you. And in season and out of season, that's not very difficult to, to figure out either. It really means when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When all you want to do is just put your headphones in. Be prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ, especially if you think you need to just block out the world because the world needs to interact with you. Okay, so we're talking about the Great Commission. 
Today we're going to dive into that subject, and we're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bible with you, or if you have your Bible app, go ahead and open that up. If you don't have it, it's okay, because our production team is going to have every verse available to us on the screen. And uh, hey, big shout out to our production team. These are the people that do the things behind the scenes. They love God, they love you, and they want to serve you, and they do such a great job using their talents. So thank you so much production team. All right, just to catch us up, in Matthew chapter 28, we know that um, Jesus has already made his, he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He was uh, then quickly taken and accused and put on trial. He was beaten. He was crucified. He, He died. His body was taken down off the cross and placed in a tomb. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, resurrected, from dead. And he showed up and made an appearance. A couple of women had come to look for him at the tomb, and the angel of the Lord was there and said, he's not here. So when they, I don't know at what point, a little bit later on in the day, Jesus appeared to them, and he gave them an instruction to tell his disciples to meet up with him in Galilee. And so that's where we're, we're joining the story right here, beginning with verse number 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, I think it's understandable that some of these disciples, even though they had followed Jesus, still had doubt. Who would have expected, after seeing how brutally Jesus had been beaten and died, that he could be resurrected? So they had their doubts, but they still showed up. I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe you have questions and doubts about all that Christianity purports. It's okay. Can I tell you that you'd make a great disciple? Just pick up your doubts and show up. Just follow wherever Jesus is. Jesus wasn't upset. He's the Son of God. He knows that there are people in, in this, this discipleship group who are doubting. But he doesn't even address it. Instead, he says this to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm always with you to the end of the age. So this is the great commission. The great sending forth of his disciples. These, these final words that Matthew records from Jesus. And there's some awesome things in here if we, we look at how many times Jesus uses the word all or, or infers all. He says, all authority has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe everything or all that I've commanded you. And remember that I'm always with you to the end of the age. So we think, you know, here Jesus has said, all authority has been given to me. I want you to realize that because he, he carries this authority from God, his Father, that what we're talking about, what we're learning today, there's not an option to it. It's not up to us to decide, well, maybe that's what he wants me to do. No, this is very clear, concise, directive 
go and make disciples. I hope that this great commission that we're talking about today will not feel like a suggestion, that you'll be challenged to not omit this from your life, but you will truly grasp it as the commission of God. Jesus acting on behalf of his Father, saying, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. The Greek sentence here actually contains only one central imperative. And that imperative in the Greek is this, make disciples. So the great commission that Jesus is explaining to us that he gave to his people is very simple. Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's a learner, a follower. If you consider an apprentice who wants to know how to be an electrician or a plumber or a baker, he will apprentice with an expert. He'll follow them. He will emulate them, mimic them. You are a disciple of Jesus. Learn from him. Follow him. Mimic him. Let his life show through you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Your mission, the command that I leave with you, is that you will have to help people know and follow me well. On our big wall out there, Life Church says we want to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. That is our great commission, to make more disciples, more disciples that look like Jesus. We need to reach into our community, reach into our, our region, our state, our nation, around the world, partnering with HBI. You know, I had the opportunity to be in India the other day. It was 2011. See what I did there? It was just the other day. But I got a chance to experience firsthand the heart of the man, the heart of the ministry, the can-do attitude. We think 1.6 million churches? Right, he says, no, it's going to happen. And so supporting people who have that discipleship model, that that is all we're called to do, partnering with them, helps us to be, to be part of that process of making disciples, that, that make disciples who make more disciples. I'm reminded of, I don't know, two, one, the other day. There was a commercial the other day when, when we used to have aerosol hairspray, Okay, and there was a commercial about telling two friends who told two friends and so on and so on and so on, that multiplication, right? No, a lot of young people out here, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, it was a funny commercial, and, but that's what we do. We tell two friends. But we don't just tell them, we walk alongside them. And you know what? We're discipling them, and they're discipling us. If we'll stay open, we are all disciples. Okay. So, we're called in this great commission to make disciples. How do we do that? What does it look like? We're to teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. Not just, not just teach as if we could convince them by instruction. If I could just stand here and, and if I was a better teacher, a better communicator, that somehow I could convince all of you what it means to be a disciple, and then we would just go on. About, no, it requires teaching. It requires living the life in front of them. It requires being an example, modeling the life of Christ, praying for them, being an encourager, helping to hold them accountable, letting them hold me accountable. 
and above all else, loving them, which refers to the greatest commandment. Passing on the gospel to others, that's the key tenet to this Christian faith. And what Paul is doing here in his letter to Timothy is he's discipling this young man to become a discipler who disciples and who will disciple. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul introduces himself and he uses language that, that establishes this relationship of closeness, the depth of relationship between these two men. He says, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. Now all throughout 2 Timothy, we, we see this kind of relational language. You know, Timothy grew up without a father, or at least without a, a spiritually present father. We, we know that, that he had a father who was Greek, and that's really all that we hear about him in Acts. So Paul has, has stepped in and kind of taken on this role as earthly and spiritual father of Timothy. And what, Timothy's, what Paul is saying to Timothy here is, he says, I, I have this torch of faith that I want to hand off to you. And I want you to, to receive this torch and, and then find people that you can entrust this, this flame to who will be faithful to then pass that faith, that same flame on to, to others. See, faith is not something that simply we receive and it happens to us, but faith actually happens through us. And we can't hold that just to be selfish and just maintain it. We're called to make other disciples. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father of Christ Jesus our Lord. The next words that that Paul uses. These words are to to set Timothy up to, to understand that, hey, what I'm saying to you is not just my heart that I'm communicating to you. This is the heart of God towards you, that God is calling you, and he's going to make you into the man that he has called you to be. Verse 3, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Again, Look at the language of passing the torch from one generation to the next generation. Paul says, as my ancestors were faithful, I am faithful. Now I'm handing this on to you, Timothy. You should be faithful and hand this on to other people who will be faithful, who will then hand it on to other other people. And notice that he's praying for Timothy day and night. Do you, are you a believer that has people in your life that you're discipling where you pray for them daily? Do you have people in your life who are praying for you daily? See, the church, the church is not some event, some building that we attend on Sunday morning. The church is family. The church is relational. We belong to one another. And we need to let each other know the real us so we know the things that we need to pray for and support. All right, so remembering your tears in verse 4, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, Paul is in prison. He's been persecuted. He's been arrested and thrown into prison and will likely die there. He will likely be executed there. What is Paul saying, remembering your tears? I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy doesn't seem to make sense for me. Your tears will, and seeing you will, make, will bring me joy. But here Paul is talking about a time that he and Timothy um, shared together. See, 
they had been in ministry together for about 15 years, traveling through many cities. And they came to a place where, where Paul started to call Timothy forth to, to be the pastor in Ephesus. And he laid his hands on Timothy. And all the, all the church leaders were around. And, and Paul started to call out things that he saw in Timothy, God's gifting that he had in Timothy, and, and probably denouncing fears and, and doubts that Timothy might have. And in that moment, Timothy started to just weep, overcome with the presence of God and, and what God was calling him into. They were tears of joy. And, and it says that actually everybody in that room, by the end of it, was crying. So here Paul is just wanting to, like, man, that was a great experience. Launching you into ministry, Timothy, I would love to be able to see you. It would bring me great joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced it's also in you, Timothy. Now, if you pay attention closely, you see that Timothy's dad is not mentioned here, as I mentioned. It was through Lois's faith handed down to Eunice and now handed down to Timothy. Discipleship being made with inside this family unit. Dad, mom, can I just encourage you? You need to pass down your faith to your children. Do whatever it takes to expose them to the goodness of God. Talk with them about how good God has been in your life. Ask them what their doubts are. Don't be afraid of that. Encourage them. We are, we're, we're called as, as parents, grandparents, as aunts and uncles, anybody that, that has influence in a child's life. We're called to make sure that there's something flammable around their heart so when the Spirit of God spikes, strikes a, a spark that it will catch on fire and they will be on fire for God. That happens here every Sunday in kids' life. We have wonderful team members that are back there teaching and training our children so that they can become disciples of God. But that can't be the extent of their discipleship. Okay, Mom? Okay, Dad? This is only a part of the puzzle for them. You need to be involved. And, and the rest of us who, hey, I invited my friend, and they came to Life Church. Yay! Here you go, Life Church. Now disciple them. No, remember your role as their friend, as their family member. Walk alongside them, disciple them, be an example. Okay, rant over. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So when Paul laid his hands on Timothy, Timothy was already a believer. He already had the spirit of God in him. But there, he's encouraging him to rekindle the gift, the, the words that he had called forward in him. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. I don't know what kind of struggles Timothy had. It doesn't say. We can infer that he was an average guy. And so like all of us, we have our doubts, we have our insecurities, we have those whispers of the the, the evil one that wants to tell us that we're not worthy, right? And so maybe that's what, what he's having to address here. You know, fear is, is more than just a feeling. Fear is, is not simply an emotion that we have or that, that response of flight or fight when something tragic is happening, something that 
this terrifying. No, fear is actually a spirit, but it doesn't come from God. So Timothy, like us, certainly had things to overcome. And those whispers of lies that, that, that we hear, you know, maybe Timothy started to believe some of them. Timothy, you're too young to be a pastor. Timothy, you're not qualified to be a pastor. You lack experience. You're, you're not well equipped. You're a fraud. They don't know who you really are. Yeah, sure, you've been following Paul, but you're no Paul. Those kinds of things that might be creeping into his heart and into his mind. Maybe the fact that he grew up without his dad actively involved in his spiritual life. He had another level of insecurity. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the fear that Paul is talking about has, the fact, has to do with the fact that he's in prison waiting to die. And the reason he's there is because of the persecution of the church. You know, Nero was crazy. For four years, there was this Nero's reign of terror that scholars talk about where he would take Christians and sew animal skins around them and put them into the arena where lions would maul them and kill them. He would put Christians on poles and set them on fire in order to light the the back courtyard during his events and and parties. So maybe that's the the kind of fear that that Timothy's having to work through, because if Paul is executed, he's like next man up. You know, maybe they look at Maybe the Romans look at, at Timothy and say, we're going to arrest him, and, and he, we don't know. But there are any number of things. Listen, fear is a liar. Fear does not tell the truth, and it is the opposite of faith. Because fear paralyzes us from being able to take action, but faith releases us and gives us the courage to move forward. So I want you to hear this. Basically, Know this for real, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. If, if you struggle with fear, I want you to know that the same spirit that Paul tells Timothy lives with inside of him is also inside of you. Let the word of God land deep in your heart and mind. Be confident You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your past, by your weakness, no matter what those whispers are, as they try to trick you into thinking that you're the person who is divorced. You're the person who was unfaithful to their spouse. You're the person who was a drunk. You're a person who is challenged by this, and you're failing by that, and whatever your sin is, that is not what defines you. It's not what defines you. The world will will try to get you to think that. Satan will try to get you to think that. Remind you of all the scars. Look at those scars. You did that. But Jesus steps in and he goes, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. You're not defined by your scars. You're defined by my scars. Look what I did for you. Lean into that. The confidence that you can get from that. Do not be afraid. There are at least 366 times in the Bible where we see some version of do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not, the word says. Be strong and and courageous. It says don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. So every single day of the year, we can have one more time where God's voice, where our Father 
talks to us and says, do not be afraid, for I will always be with you. Here, Paul is reminding Timothy again of the basics of the gospel, that in Christ, as Pastor uh, Joe said earlier, when we struggle with forgiveness, we need to know, hey, we are forgiven. That in Christ, we are fully forgiven. We are fully accepted, fully known, and fully loved. That assurance that we can have of that sets us free. Because of who we are in Christ, there's no need to be timid, and there's no need for fear. In Christ, we have the power that's of his spirit. It's not of our own making. It's only what he can do for us. It's the work that only he can do. We only love because he loved us first. We are disciplined because that's the work that he's doing in our lives. So in Christ Jesus, we have that kind of power. Don't believe the whispers, whether they're of your own making or the world, friends that are always there to remind you of just how bad you used to be. Those lies will try to condemn you, force you to live as if your past is your present and it's not. Don't believe those whispers. Jesus comes alongside and he says, follow me. And as you follow me, make other disciples. So if you struggle with fear, if you have a a tendency to to shut down and, and be afraid, just hear those words. You have that spirit of power inside you. Let's look down at 2 Timothy chapter 2, because the reason it's so important for us to know exactly who we are in Christ and our position in him is that if we're going to be able to step forward and and create disciples, we have to firmly know and believe where we are in God. So we we look here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, you, therefore, my son. Again, he's using that, that terminology that shows this closeness between them. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What, have you, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Be strong in grace. Receive power to teach the message of God, the gospel to others. There, there are four generations here. Paul, who's discipling Timothy, who's discipling other people, who will disciple other people. Remember, that's the imperative of the the Great Commission, that we go and that we make disciples. And we can't let fear get in the way of making that happen. When we place our, our faith in the one true God, then I think many times we think, if I could just get my friend, if I get my, my relative to accept Jesus, then it's it's we're good. But no, you know, anytime any of us receive life in in Christ. That's just the beginning. We're not crossing a finish line. We're crossing a starting line. Because then from there on forward, we are disciples. People are discipling us, and we are discipling others. Faith is not merely something that happens to us. It happens through us. In our next passage, the Apostle Paul shares three illustrations. He's going to talk about a, a soldier. He's going to talk about an athlete. And he's going to talk about a farmer. And when you consider all three of those personalities, those people, there may be some obvious things that we can, can see a correlation between them. I, I think one is that they're tough. 
They're all hard-working, tough mentally, tough emotionally, tough physically. I think also we, we look at it, all three of them need partnership. You know, the soldier goes onto the battlefield with his brother in arms. There's a, a tactical plan that has been formed based on the scouts that had, had gone ahead. He can take comfort in the protection provided by the guy in the overwatch position. If you're an athlete and, and you get injured, or say you're not even injured, you have certain gifts and skills and you're, you're wanting to improve, well, you can only take yourself just so far. Every professional team, every professional athlete has a coach, someone who helps to assess the way that you're approaching the game. You need partnership. They're assessing your, your stroke in tennis or your footwork. And then the farmer, who can de- deny the fact that he needs partnership? I mean, he can be out there beating the soil all day. He can plant seed. He can fertilize it and maybe even irrigate it. But he can't make that seed grow. That's the job of God. Talk about partnership. Thirdly, all three, all three of these require great amounts of discipline, perseverance, and determination. Nothing happens overnight, right? We know that the soldier, when he first signs up and he goes to boot camp, I'm sure he's asked to do a lot of things that he's just scratching his head like, I don't know how this is making me combat ready. Why do I have to shine my shoes and make my bed just so or learn to, to walk in, in formation? But over the long haul, he starts to get specialized training, and then things start to make sense as to why all of this had to be in place, that there was a purpose and a discipline turning him into a soldier. An athlete, athlete who maybe is injured, right? They, they hurt their shoulder. Well, they can't right away get back out there and start doing things again. There's a physical therapy that has to happen. And maybe, you know, the first thing is they, they can't even use weight. They just have to kind of work the shoulder like this. And then it works up to using straps for tension, And then they'll start adding weight to it. And eventually, you know, not in day one, but eventually they get their strength back. And the farmer who plants the seed on day one and shows up with his harvester on day two, he's going to be very disappointed. It takes time and perseverance. You have to allow for the time to take his place. And I think that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. You know, you're going to have to... Spend a lot of time in perseverance with this discipleship thing. It doesn't just happen overnight. Be patient. Be loving. Be kind. He says here in verse 3, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. I think we very easily get entangled with the trappings of civilian life. They look like social media, binge-watching on Netflix, maybe our, our kids' athletic program schedule, maybe our own work schedule, our hobbies, some of the things that a good soldier who's on task wouldn't concern himself with. We've all seen the depiction of a good soldier in a, um, I don't know, a movie or in a book that we've read about what it means to be a good soldier, and every time we see that a good soldier, he has to know and have knowledge of the mission that he's called to. He has to be committed to carry out that mission, and he has to have trust in his commanding officer. As, as followers of Christ, that's our mission also. We 
in order to carry out the mission of our commanding officer, we have to know what he's called us to. And our mission is to create more followers. We have every right to believe in and trust in our commanding officer. We have to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. He goes on to say here in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That God has given us the rules of his word so we can very easily figure out what it is that, how we're supposed to play the game, how we're supposed to address ourselves and and, and approach things. If you look at a a regular athlete, what does it mean to, to abide by the rules? I mean, if you have a marathon runner, right, and they're supposed to go the full distance, but instead somehow they cut across the park and they end up going across the finish line. They're not going to give him the award for, for running that race. He didn't run the race. He cheated. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So as we, we said, the farmer, he tills the land, he plants the seed, But only God can make it grow. And the reality is that uh, we reap what we sow. And if the farmer got up every single day and he prayed, I hope I get some potatoes. Lord, bless me with potatoes. Bless me. I'm a potato farmer, you know, as a child, so that's why I'm saying potatoes. But if you don't like potatoes, then make it corn. I don't know. What would you pray for? It doesn't matter. It's not going to grow. We have to plant the seed. You have to plant the seed. And the seed of discipleship, the, seed, the seeds that we get from the gospel over time, not overnight, they start to take root in our heart. They start to take root in the lives of those around us. And we start to see the good fruit of the gospel. Then, after all this hard work, which is so very, very important... Our partnership with the Lord kicks in, right? We start to see, we we become the disciple that makes disciples, that makes disciples. That's our calling. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, all of them illustrate what single-mindedness and devotion can do to obtain something. The good soldier who, who wins the battle because he pleases the one who is above him. The athlete who handles his life in such a way with integrity and diligence that he's still qualified to receive, to receive the prize. And of course, the, the hardworking farmer who can enjoy his harvest. Paul's saying, Timothy, you're going to need the mentality of a soldier. You're going to need the toughness of an athlete and the perseverance of a farmer. Labor diligently, and then leave the results to God. Whatever you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This made me think of Hans and Franz from Saturday Night Live. Do you remember them? We're here to bump you up. And then they would give you some, some ridiculous, I don't even know what, and they would say, hear me now and listen to me later. <laughs> and I think that's what Paul is saying here. Like, hear me now, but listen to me later. Think deeply on it. We don't always know what we're hearing. We need to go to God and ponder on his word and expect that he's going to bring us understanding. After all the implications of hard work, 
Paul brings us right back to the gospel. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was in prison. He was bound. But he was more than willing to endure all of that because the gospel was still going forward. The gospel was not bound. And he wanted all to receive Jesus Christ. This saying is trustworthy, it says in verse 11 and 12. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The endurance is not a a prerequisite of our faith, but it is the evidence of our faith. So endure. Be faithful. Paul comes across this young man, Timothy, and he says to him, I've been called of God and, and I see things in you and I'm calling you into ministry also, Timothy. And by the way, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you power and love and sound judgment. Timothy, I want you to, to disciple people. I want to make sure that you know, though, you need to flee youthful ambitions, youthful passions. Don't remain immature. Get on the path to maturity. Receive the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all saved by faith. It's not by works. We're We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to good works. So we get to work like a, an athlete, like a soldier, like a farmer, planting these good gospel seeds. And then the power that comes through the grace of God causes growth in those seeds to produce fruit in us. So that we're finally disciples who make disciples who make disciples. These are the very last words that Matthew recorded. And they they cover all, they cover God's authority, Christ's authority. They, they cover what our assignment is. And they give us assurance from Jesus that he will always be with us. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm always with you to the end of the age. Let's be faithful to this great commission because Jesus gave all for us. Look for your TJ and the atheist and your friend and your brother, your child. Share with them the goodness of God. Father, I thank you for this commission that you've given us, not only sending us out to do something, but empowering us, giving us the ability. Father, thank you for all that you've done to reach into our lives. God, I pray that you would just flame, like get that flame up in us that's that's coming from a place of gratitude. You've done so much for us. How could we keep it to ourselves? 
Lord, I pray against any insecurity that some may have, thinking, well, I'm really not well-versed in Scripture. God, I pray that you give them the boldness to speak what they do know about you. That your Holy Spirit will then take their willingness and minister to somebody who needs that message of hope, who may consider you, and when they come to salvation, become a disciple of your Son. Father, thank you for partnering with us, allowing us to be a part of carrying your message to others. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the Dream Team and uh, want to encourage everybody, you know, look for opportunities this week. Don't discount yourself and your ability to, to minister to others. Um, and I want to encourage you also, before you leave here today, if you were encouraged by what Pastor Bobby had to say and you want to know more about HBI, he's out in the foyer. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys.